You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. In a world with scary headlines, dramatic news stories and difficult realities, we live in a time when the ability to have difficult conversations with our children is imperative. It's said that our primary role, whenever our child is feeling anxious about something distressing that's happening in the world, is to help them feel safe and heard. But how do we do this, especially at a time when we're feeling emotional, anxious and on edge ourselves? How do we navigate this? How much is too much information? How do we deliver the often appalling reality without frightening our children unnecessarily? My guest today is Emma Gledhill, a mother, educator, and someone who has heralded difficult conversations as not only crucial, but a great opportunity to truly connect with our children. Emma, thank you for coming and welcome to The Parenthood. Thanks for having me. It's always a delight. Emma, I wanted just to start talking about why difficult conversations are so important. I think, you know, difficult conversations is not something any of us dream of having with our children. But in terms of connecting and parenting them, they're one of the most important things we do, aren't they? Absolutely. I, I think one of our tasks as a parent is to help our children learn how to navigate difficult feelings, difficult territory. Um, they will develop cognitively and relationally on the fly with other people. Of course they will. But we're the people who will be having thousands of conversations around those spike points and difficulties of life. And how we show up around that really does matter. Um, Children look to us to see whether something's manageable or not. Um, You know, in anxious terms, we're their second chicken. You know, we all have that knowledge of you know the headless chicken and you know when a chicken is alert to a life-threatening stress point the first thing they do is look up and look at another chicken the second chicken and if that second chicken is okay they're okay but if that second chicken is freaking out we're all off to the races right so being you know what you mentioned earlier being that secure base from which to explore the world in all its wonder, in all its delight, but also all its difficulty is really important. And we need to be observant to those things that we put off and avoid. Because, you know, thinking about the values that are at stake there, why it's difficult, what the fear in our basement is, is going to be really helpful because our own self-regulation around these points of difficulty. And by self-regulation, our own ability to access calm 
and show up for our kids with processed emotion. That's what they need from us, um, not our emotion layered on top of theirs. They look to us to see, is this manageable? And so we're under a lot of pressure to have it processed. And I think a lot of us don't have it processed. I mean, certainly what's going on in the world at the moment is shocking and distressing for me as a parent. And yet you've got to have sort of processed it before you have that conversation with your child or not? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, the context that we're living in, um, it's like there are the four horsemen of the apocalypse dressaging through our screens and through our minds. We've had famine, you know, we've had deaths. Um, now we've got war, you know, we've got the conqueror, the unstable ruler, you know, it's, it's all going on. And I think there are points in which we can be intentional about approaching a subject like this and checking in with our child. But then, of course, there are going to be moments where we might have seen something or we might have heard something, maybe from a relative, that is actually very close to home. And in that moment, we can't help but have an emotional reaction. And I think, you know, to do what we can to contain that, but also to have some self-compassion about our feelings and show that self-compassion to our kids. Say, you know, I've just heard something really difficult. I'm feeling really sad at the moment. Do you want to give me a hug? You know, th that sort of thing. Um, but then to try to, you know, gather yourself and circle back to it from, you know, we could, we can all make mistakes. The important thing is the repair and circling back to show that actually we have had a painful feeling and that's okay because then we give them permission to have painful feelings if we shield them from all that and that all happens you know we tidy all that away and we present this composed veneer you know so there there is a value but of course if it's going to be terrifying for our children to see us completely overwhelmed and not circle back so the important thing is if you've had an experience of overwhelm you don't just sweep that under the carpet and pretend that didn't happen. Yeah. You come back at bedtime, you sit on the end of the bed and say, you know, how are you? Are you okay? Because one of the things our kids do when they see us overwhelmed, because they're loving and we're loving to them, and they think, oh God, I need to, I, I can't say what's on my mind in because that might be too children, much for mummy or daddy you know, needing the support yeah. they very often don't sit down going mummy i've heard some things about what's happening in the ukraine i'm really distressed by it can we talk about it um uh, it's never as easy <laughs> as that and some of our children are going to be not that curious in spite of whether that's right or wrong they're not going to be that curious and some are not going to even know about it some are going to be too young to sort of really be aware of it but how do we know if we need to be having a, a conversation about what might be happening in the world? And, I, you know, what's happening now is that obviously there's a war, with, a war in Ukraine, but, you know, actually life is populated by a series of difficult conversations. So what are the cues? How do we know? Is there a sort of age limit? Are there behavioural issues that might be sort of signals that they need to have a conversation? How do we know that we need to have these conversations? Wow, that's a great conversation. There's such scope for it. I'm going to start with sort of, I'm going to address sort of age by stage idea because that was implicit in the way you asked that. 
And I think, of course, pre-verbal children are not going to have a direct awareness of the war. But what they will have awareness of are changes in our behaviour and our own self-regulation. If we're in a dysregulated state, and that might be that we're on our screens checking notifications all the time, we've got rolling news on in the background, and our heart rate is increased, and our our behaviour, we're more distracted, and they're less able to access our attuned presence. You know, that moment where mum is able to, or dad is able to give them their full focus so they feel seen, heard, and felt that what's going on in their world is resonating with us. And we can be cut off from that because, you know, our social Wi-Fi just gets closed in by those feelings of threat. So one of those things to do is check in with yourself and think, you know, how am I? And how is this, what we feel that's unprocessed, we push out in our behaviour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, am I a bit more distracted? Am I on my phone? Am I am I really... Because a young child will notice if we're like this to the tally, you know, the eyes glued and, you know, we're, we're really listening into the news and that's sort of the, that's what we're tuning into. You know, like a meerkat, they're going to look in that direction as well. So that's a pre-verbal thing. So it's about really making sure we can manage, observe that and manage it and be really fully present and be able to be playful with our pre-verbal child. Because that's a key element. That's another element that, that sort of dissipates when we feel anxious and under threat. Age about four or five, verbal and, you know, out in a community life, in school. I think then we do need to, you know, even though they may be fine and ignorant of it all, I think we do need to check in and um, find out, you know, what are you playing on the playground? You know, what are people talking about at school? It's likely that in an assembly there will have been some form of address about it, for instance. But one way in which children deal with these situations is to express it in their play. So you may see, you know, you you listed lots of ways in which a child can react. Sometimes we can see a rather horrifying (laughs) sort of sense of excitement around it. You know, and I remember my father being phoned up by the head teacher when I was about eight years old because I was freaking out my friends at school when the Falklands crisis emerged and I was cheerfully predicting World War Three and a nuclear Armageddon, you know. (laughs) But that is one way in which children process these difficult feelings and these difficult situations. You know, violence and death, they're quite profound threats that we are all, you know, very tuned to. So it comes out somewhere. So you asked about when we should intervene. We should be watching what's going on, curious about what they're picking up, what they're seeing, thinking, hearing, feeling, um, and be ready to to um, give them information and facts. Young children don't need lots of detail, um, but we're, we're watching their behaviour. So if it's a a young kid who's drawing lots of stuff with guns and, um, you know, I mean, that may be what they've always done, but if that's getting an acceleration or if a child is finding it difficult to get sleep at night, difficult to separate um, or avoidant of going out. So we we can look at their behaviour, we can look at their emotions. 
But we do need to ask and not assume that they don't know anything just because they haven't said it um, and give them those invitations to to talk, to ask questions. Um, so think about a good opening question that will actually gauge where they are at with it rather than thinking, I'm going to sit down my child when they get home from school. I'm going to give them a snack. I'm going to tell them all about the war in Ukraine. Ask first, listen, be curious. What what have they picked up? What do they want to know? And build from there. And, and actually maybe a good way, I was thinking with my children, you know, sitting ra- down and watching something that's age appropriate for them about the war in Ukraine. So news round, for example, or, you know, even something common sense media is actually really good. And they have like little bulletins or even like sitting and reading the week junior together and, and having Absolutely. a conversation around it. And because then it's not like we need to talk about this. It's more, oh, you know, let's read this. Wouldn't this be interesting? Or I want to watch this. And then it sort of sparks that conversation. And very often they're much more likely to tell you what's, you know, making them anxious or worrying them if it doesn't feel like a very specific conversation, even if it actually is. Yeah. I mean, I think also thinking about that with sort of middle to older children, they're quite young children now, age eight plus, sometimes earlier, have access to unfiltered elements through their phones, for example. And uh, if, if your child has a phone and access to 4G, you probably do need to sit them down and talk about um, the war that it's happening and that there is footage that they, you know, and as you say, find appropriate and steer them towards appropriate uh, channels and also to sit down with them so that they can see it in a safely contained way. I remember last night just watching the 10 o'clock news and seeing uh you know, explosion happening on a residential street. And that was really quite penetrating for me. And to, you know, it's part of that package. Once we've gone down that screen route, say, you know, it's, this is on the news, this is real. And there, there are some things that are happening that are quite difficult to, to deal with. And I think, you know, you need to know a little bit about it. Um, And these are, you know, let's, Let's have a look at it together. It's a great invitation, a great collaborative way to move forward and can spur off into, you know, what are other people looking at on their phones? Also remembering as a parent that TikTok is not all about inane dances and natty little earworm routines. People are also picking up on some extremely unfiltered, and it's not journalism, um, that's that, again, can't be unseen once it's seen. Um, so that's across every platform you know I'm on Instagram and I have such a sort of benign feed of you know nice things to look at basically and still because we're living in a crisis and because people want to be heard they Mm. are desperately posting shocking stuff to get people's attention and I'm not criticizing that it's more just that they're they will do anything to get heard and therefore the content you know of something you know I followed Mm. this girl that's a a Ukrainian poet and she, she posts lovely poetry and that's why I follow her but of course now she's posting very very different stuff um and it just how so so your kind of feed that you essentially curate can change very quickly according to the circumstances. You raise a really important point there. And I think now is the time to really have a little bit of a curate, a stop and a check in and curate the environment around our children. Um, because it's 
not just about what's on the media. It's also about what we're talking about. And, you know, quite often now, instead of having a phone conversation in a place that's slightly removed, we can be in the kitchen on FaceTime and, you know, it's what conversations we're having with other adults in the periphery of our children. It's not just what they might see, it's what they might hear. And that's, again, going back to checking in with ourselves and our self-regulation, our preoccupation. Are we busting to talk about these horrible things that we're seeing? Because that's a way in which we're managing our feelings. But we probably need to make sure we're doing that separate from our child's orbit. And for instance, you know, if Auntie Val comes around and she can't help but talk about, you know, in quite a dramatic way, what she's seeing and feeling and what that's triggering in her. Again, it's about having a conversation with other adults who might be visiting the house, particularly if there's already a rising layer of anxiety that you see within one of one or more of your children. It's that sort of the rule of two, which is what I've referred to many times in, in talks, you know, that idea of is the emotion my child is experiencing too much is it, you know, is it affecting their behaviour for, you know, for too long? And is it is this persisting? Is this becoming um, part of my child's mood climate, a bit of climate change in their mood? Um, so if that's the case, we need to make sure that we are we are helping them down regulate and we are looking at the environment around them and making sure that that is well regulated so we can have clear, calm confident and effective conversations with them that are not because if someone feels unsafe no matter what we tell them it's not going to work mm. and if if they feel lack of safety in what they're seeing and hearing and overhearing around them we're not going to be able to connect on that in a reassuring way yeah so our, our behavior matters yeah and presumably too i mean children again they're not as straightforward as going mommy i'm feeling really anxious right now you know very often they won't recognize anxiety they might not have felt it as profoundly as they might be feeling it now um so looking out i mean i was talking to my sister a gp about sort of signs of anxiety and she said most commonly that anxiety is manifested in tummy aches that kind mm. of you know we all feel it that fear that constant fear in the pit of our stomach that they're like something hurts in my tummy but otherwise yes. you know that kind of you know struggling to sleep changing their appetite and um, being really clingy um, and sort of grumpy just being kind of I suppose attuned to a change in your child's behavior that might be a manifestation of, of the anxiety and then again you know signal we need to sit down and have a proper conversation with them for sure for sure and, and I think the other difficulty is that we find we often find these conversations really hard because we're you know as you said processing it you know it, it it's like when we talk about what's happening for example now in the ukraine it's one thing to be able to look away when it's just you you know it's very easy for me to turn off radio four in the morning when it's all got a bit too much but as soon as you're engaging with your children you're admitting that this is a big and frightening situation that none of us wish we were in and I think it's, it's we spend a lot of time worrying about what we're going to say. And I think actually it's all about how we show up and listen that matters more 
But how do you start that conversation? Because that's such a good tip. You know, we often don't listen enough to our children. We don't necessarily give them time to think and then respond. We're so conditioned to sort of mm. filling the air mm. with conversation. But how would you start that conversation? Well, I mean, yeah, anxiety makes us speed up. So, you know, we want to <laughs> we want to know what's in your mind. Um, but actually just saying something really sim- simple, like how do you feel about what's happening in the world? and just slowing that down and waiting for you know waiting for what comes and then when they say a feeling word to use a mirroring technique where we we think about that emotion that's come out and we sort of use it as a hyperlink so um you know i feel really sad tell me what tell me what's sad about it for you so we, we, we're slowing down to open the doors and windows for feelings to be explored and expressed. Instead of racing to cognitively solve it by telling them how safe they are and you know showing them on the map how far away this is or, or whatever we might be tempted to do, to just actually sit with them in the feeling and to show empathy for it and to show that that resonates with you and to validate that feeling that is their lived experience of this so not to argue with their feelings or tell them that their feelings are wrong because that is just going to shut you down as being their emotional resource to process anxiety because there is a temptation to go oh darling there's nothing to worry about look how far away ukraine is it's not going to come to nuclear war don't worry don't worry let's put on some paw patrol instead and that's <laughs> the worst thing you can do because what you're saying is the feelings that you're experiencing that you've been bold enough to articulate to me are a waste of time you're a bit stupid to be feeling them let's just change the subject which you know as we all know doesn't make those feelings go away it just kind of sort of forces them underground and makes them even harder to deal with. I know, but it can be very hijacking. It's a very natural response to kind of, you know, and and where we feel that our foot is going on the accelerator, that is exactly when we need to slow down a little bit more. So, for instance, if our child says something that, you know, we know is perhaps an unrealistic or an exaggerated worry, if it's something that we're finding hard to bear, we're probably going to want to speed up and solve it for them when actually um, we need to probably slow down and say, I'm really so glad you've told me about that. This is. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A really difficult situation, and there are lots of difficult feelings. You know, there are lots of difficult feelings that 
lots of people are having in response to this. So helping them feel that they're not they're not alone, but obviously staying calm and showing that you're not freaking out at them, that they're not abnormal for being worried or having fears. This is about us doing our job to lend our prefrontal cortex, our developed, mature brain to help give me, help them create meaning and perspective. And sometimes it's a kind of sifting process where they might be feeling something quite intense. You know, anxiety is often very intense feeling beyond words initially. So how can we help them? They might not have the vocabulary easily to sort of say, you know, when we ask each other how we feel, when we feel really difficult, that's a hard question to ask if you're an adult. So, for instance, to say, I can see there's something going on here for you. What are you feeling in your body? Certainly as a professional coach, I find that's a really helpful gateway to starting to process what's going on. Because we can I start to identify what's, ha- what's going on in our body. And as a parent, we're getting a lot of useful information there. Mm. You know, um, you know, I'm feeling really sad. I'm fe- my stomach feels really queasy um, or my, my heart is, you know, we, we, we might be able to sort of hold some space for them to think about how they feel in their body. And if we want to ask them about it, we would think again at what you said earlier about the gut um whether they've got headachey feelings um is you know in their in their neck in their hands and arms those are where you know the adrenaline flows for the fight flight response Mm. Um, or maybe they're looking really floppy and withdrawn because that's another way in which we have overwhelm so we're looking to be with them and help tune them in to what's going on in their body And then, for instance, to ask them, okay, is there an image that comes in your mind about what all this is about? So, again, we're we're helping them access their more abstract brain, perhaps, to to bring out an, an image. Is there something that they can make a connection with? Um, And that, again, gives us more information without us interpreting their feelings for them. So again, this is about slowing down and being present to difficult feelings, holding the space for discomfort to be worked through together, supportively. And then once we have the image, we can say, wow, that's really interesting. What's important about that to you? You And when, when that image comes into your mind, what's the impact for you? You know, be really curious about that. And here, what we're doing is, you know, anxiety is like a bottle of Coke that's been slammed against the wall. We're allowing that gradual defizzing, decanting of that overwhelm, um, allowing them to explore, express from the inside out. And then we can start to talk about what feelings, what feelings do you think are here for you? And then we can go into what are they thinking and how can we work on that together? And obviously, it's difficult to talk to to be face to face with our children's difficult fears. But again, saying I'm so glad you've shared that with me. You know, it's really important that we're able to to you know share these fears 
which are perfectly natural. And I'm here to help you with that and work through, you know, what do you need? What, what would be what would be a good thing that we could do now that would be helpful? And again, that's empowering your child to sort of think about self-regulation. What do I need? What can I have from you, for instance, that will be helpful right now? Yeah, that makes complete sense. And obviously there are children that aren't showing any of these outward signs that kind of seem mm. fine. But I think it's still really important to have the conversation with them, isn't it? I mean, I, I yesterday, my children haven't really been talking about it at all. But I'm aware, age 10 and 12, that they're going to be hearing stuff in the news, that there's going to be stuff in at school. And I just, I kind of more than anything wanted to signal to them that I'm okay to talk about this. Yeah. Um, but I started off the conversation with, I can't stop thinking about what's happening in the Ukraine and I feel that I really want to do something. And so then the conversation was around how what we could do, whether it was donation, whether it was raising money, whether it was raising awareness, whether it, whatever it was. So it became less about, right, I, I, you haven't signaled that you want to talk to me about this, but let's talk about scary mm. things together. And it allowed that sort of doorway to open so that they understood that this was a conversation I'm really confident and happy to have. But yeah. it wasn't thrusting you know, really quite disturbing events into their world if they didn't feel that they needed to talk about it. Right, right. I mean, for us, there's that sort of stage, isn't there, that we want to check in, we want to find out, we want to help uh, moderate and mediate the information that they're coming across so that it is fact-checked, balanced, and also other perspectives can exist. You know, they may be in a school where they've got... Um, Russian classmates there, there may be quite a complicated territory to negotiate um, around that so being being ready and able to look at things from different perspectives open out their understanding but then so we're moving from analysis of reaction into information gathering communicating and then moving, as you rightly say, into agency. What is it that what is it that's in our power to do? But I think, as well as that, you know, how can we how can we help our kids manage fear around this? And I think it's important that we're, for example, holding on to routines. That bedtime is still bedtime. Screen time is still screen time. Just because you're looking at BBC News doesn't mean that extends, right? Um, that we maybe double down on calming routines towards night time. Um, and also, I think that we are making sure that information includes understanding about all the structures that are here to keep us safe. So the idea about negotiators and the diplomatic service and politicians and you know, the fact that people are working very hard to try to avoid the conflict escalating. And then, of course, there's the sort of military aspect, the ways in which, um, you know, as a society, people are supporting each other, trying to care for each other and the international efforts as well. We can help put things into proportion. There's over 190 co countries in the world. Um, we can talk about the UN resolution, that there is a huge proportion of those countries that are going to stand that are in opposition to Russia's actions, for example. Um, we can talk about 
the ways in which on the ground in that conflict zone, people are acting with leadership and heroism and that there are charitable efforts, but also humanitarian efforts. Those beautiful images of people waiting in airports for refugees to be housed and cared for and looked after. Um, you know, those stories are very important counterbalances to the threats. So it's it's not only a, it's not only that we're talking about what's what's difficult about it, but also what what is there in the human spirit, what is more hopeful, more optimistic or more resilient in our society, uh, in the global society that will be helpful. And, and you know, that probably would do us a lot of good too. You know, mm. invariably as carers of young children with the sort of burden of responsibility, you know, it's, it's quite difficult for us to see this world that we love fall apart or seemingly look like it's falling apart. And I do think very often the sort of, drama and bad news stories and the frightening stories can overwhelm our kind of media intake so actually just even as a as an exercise for ourselves to think let's mm. let's look for some good news stories let's look at some you know amazing like you said amazing acts of heroism and there are a lot coming out of of what's happening at the moment but you know the benefit is probably equally good for us as it is for our children yeah but one other aspect about this is it's a great teachable moment to talk about perspectives, ethics, morality, values, you know, how we how we show up around conflict, um, what we stand for. Um, and I, th- I, I think, obviously, there's that observation that this is terrible. But then there is what am I going to do about it? What, what am I going to do about it to manage my mind and to take leadership of my family? through this and that's making sure that everyone who is involved in caring for our kids and who is a big presence in our kids life is on the same page so together with our partner um we we do that sort of we have those conversations about how to curate the environment around around this and going back to your point about sometimes kids don't show any interest or don't we don't know why that is. It may be because they are just far too interested in My Little Pony, right? But it may also be that they feel it's so scary and overwhelming that they can't talk about it. Or perhaps they have decided that it's, you know, that talking about it will sort of confirm it and make it all the more real. Or perhaps that talking about it with us will be, will make our lives more difficult. You know, our children can you know, have all sorts of fantasies about us. They, You know, and when we live in an atmosphere of threat, which we have been doing for the last two years, um, they can try to care for us inappropriately in a way, um, out of love. But we need to make sure that we, you know, fear and anxiety really loves that private space of the mind. And there it can, it can, be it's very agile it's constantly looking ahead at disaster and looking back for confirmation bias of you know why we should be on high alert um so being able to explore it and being able to just check in little and often it's not going to be a one and done conversation and obviously 
There are things that change in the news. There are things that might be changing in the discourse around them in the playground or on what they see online that really ups the ante and changes it. So, you know, making sure that we're we're saying, I'm noticing that this is an anxious time. And as a family, we need to think about how we we work on this together. And I guess, you know, loads of opportunities for those conversations, because we all know that conversations are brilliantly had at certain times and appallingly had at other times. I mean, I just find obviously, you know, when you're in a rush or when or when children are sort of wired, you know, if someone's got themselves into a state about the Ukraine and possibly their homework as well, that's not <laughs> a good time to have the conversation. It's more when everyone's calm and relaxed that you're much more likely to have a productive conversation yeah and I think also it's quite helpful for parents to have a little bit of a protocol when you're aware that you're stepping into arena an arena where people are revved up and so that can be okay let's just take a few deep breaths here let's all sit down take a few deep breaths so what you're doing is you're taking charge you're slowing it down and, you know, for instance, being able to take longer out breaths yourself, you're the one who's at the hub who needs to calm down, make sure you're calm the most. And so if you're going to try to do that in a rapid way, use your own nervous system, elongate your out breaths to disperse the stress hormone cortisol, put your hand on your heart, on your solar plexus with warmth as you exhale to just kind of help again use your vagus nerve your parasympathetic system to slow down and give your brain and body those signs of safety when we do that intentionally actually we can actually calm down faster because we're kind of doing that internal process of saying i know i'm revved up this situation is revved up i'm going to take care of this now so again it's analysis into action intention very helpful Mm. so sometimes we just say you know when we when we see difficult emotion happening we're going to do something we're going to say something that invites that slowing down yeah I mean and I think sometimes with the children they get themselves into such a state I find that sometimes just letting them have a proper old cry and just hugging them and letting them get that emotion because actually crying is quite a good way of releasing kind of pent-up energy frustration anger fear mm. whatever it is and yet we have this societal oh you know you must stop crying no 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 stop. Yes. actually I think we just need to let it out because it only takes a few minutes of proper sobbing yeah. my daughter had it the other day and um and she was just in one of those moods and was crying and crying and she was like what's wrong she goes I miss the guinea pig that died like eight months ago I, I suspect it was about mm. something else but I was like resistance yes. the temptation to be like yeah right it's just you haven't done your homework you're feeling a bit frustrated about it but instead I just let her cry and she just needed an excuse to cry and properly cried out and then we can have a much more productive conversation right I'm really minded of um, a quotation that comes from uh, Dr Lawrence Cohen who um, wrote a book called the opposite of worry and playful parenting and he says the object of emotion is completion to complete. We cry for a reason. It has a biological and physiological, you know, so when we suppress it, when we try to cut it short, no one really does that proper, snotty, full-on crying forever, you know, no one. 
it's 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 done in a few minutes because it it's a purge and and, you, and you're absolutely right when someone's at a stage of overwhelm if and you know with your kids whether they're receptive to this or not then physical touch uh, the hug or physical touch of some degree or other is something that is immediately helpful to downregulate and permission but, too to have this yeah, you know yeah get it all out yeah and and for instance what to say while you're do while you're doing that again not to try to fix it too soon but to just say i'm here you're safe it's okay it's fine really short things because when someone is in overwhelm they're not going to process much it's more about your tone of voice your tone of voice to be prosodic to have a bit of melody to it to not be choppy and edgy because you know our nervous system in our middle ear picks up on threat and so you know sometimes it's fake it till you make it right (laughs) you know but you think about your voice when our children were babies and they were screaming with distress we would pick them up and we would co-regulate with them we all learn to co-regulate before we learn to self-regulate and that is why we are so important um, as those sort of constants to the backdrop of our children's lives and so it is about what it's doing something more age appropriate that is akin to what we did when they were babies we would put them tummy to our chest we would hold them we would rock we would slow down to do that and we would perhaps also sing to them we would use that musicality or we would hum and actually often we think we're doing that for them don't we but actually we're doing it for both we're doing it for both so try and just think meet them where they're at where their feelings are at let them be seen let them be heard and let them feel felt and that really helps And I think if we can do this well, you're not only being an amazing parent, because actually this is when they need you the most, but I also think it's an amazing basis for relationship. I see it with my friends, the friends that I can really connect with when I'm feeling very vulnerable or, um, you know, just not strong, are the ones I feel closest to. And so in terms of a relationship, if a child knows that they can have any conversation with a parent, difficult or easy, they can be the bearer of bad news as opposed to just good news, and that they know that when they're at their lowest ebb and when they're feeling the most vulnerable, that they are heard and respected and that they're, they know that whatever their sentiments are, that they're legitimate, that's kind of like the basis of the most amazing relationship you'll ever have, which is at the core of what being a parent is. Absolutely. And I think listening is a really undervalued skill. And learning how to do that effectively, it creates that space. It creates a spaciousness for someone to speak and express and and be their fully fabulous and fearful selves in our presence. And that is a real gift. So really watching whether you're listening in order to speak and you're just waiting to speak that is a really ego level of listening and as parents because parenting is an anxious 
process, we can often slip into that. So one of the things that I do to try to make sure I tack back into being more emotionally available as a listener is to try and watch when actually I'm speeding up while my child or my my partner is speaking. Um, Who am I here for? What am I here for right now? Yeah, that makes complete sense. Emma, it's been, as always, such a pleasure to chat to you. I feel that everything you say makes complete sense. And like, I should have known it, but I didn't somehow. And I just needed to be reminded. But it's so inspiring listening to uh, you talk about what I think is is on a lot of parents' minds right now. So thank you so much for your um, expertise today. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I think what we need to draw on is the fact that we are enough. This situation outside of our control is really difficult, but we are, we can be more than enough for our children. Thinking about how we can show up around these difficult times can be transformational. Yeah, that's good. That's definitely something I'll hold on to. And it's something we always forget, but you're right. You know, just we are enough well on that note emma thank you um and thank you all for downloading this episode of the parenthood you can subscribe rate and review wherever you found this podcast you can also follow me on instagram i'm at marina.fogel but in the meantime from emma and i thanks for listening Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.